right, good morning, everybody. My name is Dan, I serve as a pastor here, and if you're online, it's great to have you here with us. Yeah, it's starting to fill up a little more. It's great to have our Canadian friends from the from the lower mainland, and I think that's going to happen a little bit more. I feel like Birch Bay is going to, there's going to be more of a buzz happening, isn't there? It's just, just uh, you know, with the gas going to be like $20 a gallon at the time summer happens, you know, you're going to have to just, you can't go too far. I hope that's not the case, but uh, Dave and Bev, thank you for greeting us today, and just, just find, you guys are people that are like, this is a church, this is a community here, we're real people, and we're hoping, if you are new, we'd love just to get you, get you connected here and get to know you a bit more. Uh, we, to help you a little bit, kind of catch up if you're new or it's been a bit, uh, we're doing this series called Unstoppable, and it's, we're just going through the book of Acts, and I want to say just, it's an adventure as you read through and how the birth of the church happened and miraculous things started to take place, and the momentum begins to grow, and the church begins to grow, and it grew into churches, it, where churches, like missionaries are going out and in, in, in planning churches and then they're coming back around and visiting those churches so you see this movement that's happening all through the book of Acts and you start reading through it they went here and they did this and they went this it's like man I can't keep up these guys are all over the map and as much as that's wonderful and these churches are planted they're still and continue to be in an escalates of a pushback a, a persecution that's happening and it's it's not it's not the it's not necessarily the people out there that, that are, you know, they don't have any kind of connection. It's the, it's the people where it came from, the, the very Jewish faith that are, they're the ones that are the most opponents against. And I think a lot of times with change, we find that, don't we? We find that, that when there's change in, into the old, the old guard kind of rises up. This is not right because that's all you know. And so what's happening is Paul, one of the missionary leads in this and his his team goes, Paul, we got to get you out of here. This, this is getting intense, and you need a, you need a break. You need, we need a, your, your life is on the line. And, and so they, they ship Paul. We get into Acts chapter 17 that we're going to look at this morning, uh, it, it, where, where they, they, they ship him to Athens. And so he, he goes there, and, and what we're going to look at here, he rather than escapes all that's going on, he's in the epicenter of the work that Jesus is calling him to do. The message of Christ and the gospel will be expanding even further. And what you would call here, and we, we, we do it, we call in sports at this moment, you could call this a game changer. In Acts chapter 17, there's really a, it's a game changer. And some of you have been following March Madness, and it is madness. Like teams that you're really open, we were like the Zags, we're going to make it. You know, one game, man, you're out. It's cutthroat. Now there's, you know, Final Four this weekend, and, and there's two left. And, and I, as I follow college basketball, I remember, I'm old enough, I remember the day, you know, in college and in high school where there wasn't a three-point line. I'm that old. Some of you remember that. And when the three-point line came out in college, it changed the game. It was a game changer with one line that was drew, drawn across the floor. It really happened. Now, if you're going, I'm not a sports person, we all experience game changers in our life. In fact, if you Google game changer, it means this, an event, an idea, or procedure that affects a significant shift in the current manner of doing or thinking about something. And so... Oh, by the way, if you're taking notes, you can scan that right there. There's notes in your seat. We do that this morning. But speaking of uh, that, uh, technology has been a game changer, right? All of a sudden, we got this thing called an app on our phone 
game changer in how we, how we communicate, how we relate with what's going on and get, get information in the world. But we've had other game changers. How about, you remember getting married? Game changer, hello, right? How about this, having your first child? Game changer, you don't sleep ever again, okay? That's what happens, right? That's, it, everything changes, and, and many times it's for the good, and, and, but this morning I want to look at a moment where Paul, he lands in Athens, and it's a game changer for the gospel. There, there, there is this significant moment that happens that, that I really think speaks to us today. Where there's a shift that's happening, has been happening, that I want to address this morning, that we would say is a cultural game changer. And it's, it's been happening, I, I think COVID has accelerated it a bit, uh, but as, as Christ followers, in fact, I would say that many of us could feel pretty discouraged, not just because of the last couple of years, but discouraged where culture is going and where people are going. In fact, you find that people have over, you know, in the last couple of years it happened, people, you know, when we talk about social distancing, people have spiritually distanced dis, uh, distance themselves. And we're just trying to figure out what, what's going on, what, what's happening. Now as co- we're coming out of COVID, it, it's co- becoming less and less excuse, but it's interesting how people's behavior changes. And it's happening in generations. In fact, it, it's a cultural shift that's happened and that has affected your kids that it's affected your grandkids, it's affected, especially, you know, if you were raised in a Christian home, or you had children raised in a Christian home, you did the best you could, it, there's some distancing that's happened. The more and more I talk with families that, that have adult children, or young adult children, and how there's, there's really kind of what they, what you thought they were connected with, they're not as much anymore, and, they're, and they're, it's not a priority to them. There, there's, the validity of Christianity has gone less and less, and it concerns you. And it concerns me as well. And it's hit, it's hitting home for many of us. And so, but I, I hope that we're look at what we're going to look at here can give us some hope. And I think it comes down to one thing. If I could narrow down one thing here, we're going to talk about today, and it's all about approach. It's all about approach. Paul models this moment, this this game-changing moment that happens, and the shift that he makes is interesting as we're going to look at. We're going to jump in Acts 17, 16. It says this. It says, now while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he's waiting for his team to come. They, they ship him here. He's waiting. They're telling Paul, hey, just, just chill. Just relax. Everything's okay. Well, knowing Paul, knowing about his life, he can't. He's not a guy that vacations. It says this, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. Okay? He, you picture Paul, you know, he's landing. It's like, you know, if you've been to Greece, you're like, man, beautiful water. This is going to be great. I, he probably wasn't thinking that. He was thinking, I'm here. Now, what's, what, God, what do you have next? What happened was he moved. He was now far from the, the Bible, you know, buckled the Bible belt, which would have been uh, the Jewish Bible, would have been Jerusalem. He's far away in, in a completely different culture. And this word provoke is, is also means soured, maybe like making ill to your stomach feeling. That was what was coming over him. Uh, and so what does he do? Well, we read in the beginning of um, just before, well, just after Acts when he lands, he goes what a lot of you know, Christian people do when they go to, on vacation at Sunday. Like, well, we'll just go visit a local church. So, I mean, maybe you're here today. You're, you're new with us and you're now hanging out in Birch Bay. 
They, they, and not only that, he, he just didn't listen to the, you know, he goes to, which is the synagogue, because he's Jewish, goes, that was on Saturday. He would go there. He was, um, he, knowing Paul enough, he couldn't just relax. He's on a break. He gets up and teaches. He gets up and shares with him. Well, the local people are going, what is he talking about? Some guy got resurrected. The Messiah's come. And he, so he starts sharing and talking about Jesus, quoting scripture, goes and, and he's connecting with this group. Well, it ruffled some feathers. Some, some appreciated it. Some believed it was really kind of a mixed things that were happening. Well, the, the rest of the community, it was such a buzz that the, the non-Jewish community heard about that. And it says in verse 18, it says some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with them. They started connecting with Paul. And the Epicureans, kind of interesting, they, they didn't believe in any kind of God. The Stoics believed in pantheism. They believed in God and everything. Both of them together. One group doesn't believe any, any kind of gods exist, and now they believe everything has a God. And so this is who he's, he's encountering. And so Paul thought he was escaping kind of the drama, all that was happening now he's in the epicenter of the very roots of ancient Greek philosophy. He's there with, these are the likes of, you know, this is, they, they died years before that, but Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle. Now, Luke writes this. He says, some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And then they took him and brought him to their headquarters the Aragopolis here, and it says, and you kind of picture this place as this kind of picture Yale, Harvard, Cambridge, and a little bit of the Vatican all mixed up. I mean, it mixed together. It was a, it was a pretty, this is a place where the center of thought for the ancient world took place. So they asked, they asked Paul, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who live there would spend their time in, in, in nothing except telling or hearing something new. <laughs> all their time they spent there, like they had nothing else to do, but they spent time thinking up new things. It's kind of like probably what Google and Apple have, like the R&D department, the research and development, come up with new ideas, and so then we spend more money, right? So Paul, he stands in the Mrs. Aeropocalypse, and, and he here Paul is thinking he was taking some time off, and he's on the biggest stage in, in the ancient pagan world. Here he is. So what does he say? He has this opportunity. Well, actually, I think it's what he doesn't say that surprises us. In fact, I find it's a challenge for us. and In fact, it, it, it's a game changer, and, and also I think it's going to be helpful, and it has to do with approach. It's how he shares about Jesus, now go on with this, and he doesn't mention the name Jesus. He doesn't quote from Scripture. He doesn't do that. Why? Because they're not Jewish. They're, 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 they're quoting from Isaiah who? Abraham what? They, they don't know what he's really talking about. And what is, why I bring this up is there's, there's this seismic shift, social logical shift that's happening in our world today. That in history right now, we have moved, especially in our Western world, when we've moved from Judean Christian worldview and the shift that's happening. And it's very much a part of American culture. There was a survey, I, well, I think it was the census done. The 2020 census speaks 
a lot of this, of what's, what's going on in this shift. There's a shift that happened where there was, the census before, about 45% of people in America would call themselves practicing Christians. What that meant was, was they went to church, they, they uh, you know, read their Bible, they prayed, you know, what we consider things that Christians would do. That has dropped to 23% in 2020. It's a big jump. What's doubled is the nuns and the duns. And the nuns are people that don't have any affiliation with any kind of religious group. Not just Christian, not synagogue, not mosque. They don't have any kind of like organized religion. They, don't, they would check the nun on the box of the census. But also there's the duns. The duns are the people that were raised in some kind of faith. Um, many of them would have been a Christian faith. They grew up in the church. They went to Sunday school. They went to VBS. They went to summer camp. They wore the shirt. They, 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 then they moved into their adulthood and said, we're done. We're done with it. And what was happening was what they found is the, the, they found the version of Christianity that they grew up with wasn't un, it was very unconvincing, uninspiring, and irrelevant irre to them. It was children's stories that didn't really help them in real life any longer. Now, how do we know this? Because people said this. This is, this is their reaction to all that's going on in the culture. And, and I'm just wondering, do you know anybody like that? Do you know anybody in your world today? Do you know anybody that you, know, that, that you raised your kids, your grandkids, your friends, you had a buddy in high school, that they, they just don't find, in fact, some might even, as I have friends, had, were really strong in their faith. These are the people I did go to camp with. These are people I went on a mission trip with. These are the people, in fact, these are the people that convinced me to go do those things are now no longer have any kind of, really any kind of Christian affiliation, nor I don't even think I don't want to judge them. I don't see you looking at their social media that they have any thought of God or even, I don't even know if they would consider themselves Christian today. What's happened? What does this mean? Mayberry is dead. Mayberry is dead. The church-going culture is, it's gone. It's been gone. Well, that's depressing. Thanks, Stan, for sharing that. But what can be done is I look at how Paul addresses things, how he approaches this culture a, a different way. And it's a game changer. See, what Paul says is really what he doesn't say. This is what he doesn't do. He doesn't go, the Bible says, and then quotes scripture. Now, growing up, you might have thought that that's the Bible. You know, we, 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 you know I, I didn't grow up in the... I didn't grow up with this song, but some of you remember this. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the tells me so little ones to him being lost. He weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. I didn't think we'd sing the whole thing. Yes, Jesus loves me. Not true. Yeah, good for you. Good for you. Not true in the culture today. Not true in the culture today. Unfortunately, that's the case. As much as I believe that, by the way, as much as I hold to that the Bible is the infallible, inspired word of God, we live in a culture that no longer holds to that, at least a, a, a good, even close to majority of our culture. So I want you to think about it this way. If you were raised in a Christian home, Christian worldview. Imagine 
a Muslim friend comes to you and quotes the Quran, what the Quran says, how would you react to that? You're going, well, thanks for sharing that. You, you probably would be dismissal of it. You might go, oh, that's interesting that that's said that way, but it doesn't have any authority in your life. That's the world we live in. How do you approach a culture like that? Just because the Bible says it so is, doesn't work any longer. You try that with your children when you grew up. Why do I do this? Because I said so, right? Only goes so far. There comes a place of where and viewing authority. And I want to take it further, just to be the reality of where we're at in our culture today. That there's a, there was a survey done of, on the tw- that, that said that 27% of millennials, these are people maybe like their late 20s through middle of 40s, non-Christian Millennials, this is what they believe. They say that the Bible is actually a dangerous book of religious dogma used over centuries to oppress people. Dangerous. Dangerous. That's hard to hear for us. But we just see in the news another high-profile church and leader in scandal again. And the gap grows bigger. What, what, what's going on? What's happening is we see a rejection to cultural Christianity that's different than the original. Andy Stanley, just a guy I follow, pastor, he just has great insight on all this. Really, a lot of things today I'm sharing just in his, his approach. He says this, he goes, in reaction to postmodern, most post-Christian world, he says, this, he says this, I'm not discouraged for one reason. The original version of our faith was extraordinary robust. Once upon a time, our faith was stronger than the Roman steel and tougher than the Roman nails. I want to give you hope and encouragement that the gospel is the power unto salvation. It is the good news of Jesus. If we get to the original, what it's really about, if we get to this place, but you need to understand this, and it's so important to understand, just because the Bible says is not enough. Now, some of you are going, whoa, 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 I'm about ready to leave the church here if you say that. What's Hear me out. What's in the Bible makes the Bible. It's not the Bible itself. It's what's in the Bible. What's in the Bible? Historical documents, eyewitnesses account. And it's all based on the on the, the truth of God because of what happened and it was recorded, that was inspired and fallible word of God because of the events that took place and the greatest event that we've put our Faith in is the the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which we're in two weeks, two services that we're going to celebrate that. Does that make sense? Yes, the Bible is infallible word of God, but why is it? Because of what it contains. And I think some of you go, I get that, I get that, I get that. But it's all about the approach and how we communicate God's word. See, Paul says this, he says this about it. He said, and this is, he said to the Greek culture, he said this, for the, if there's no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. If Christ had not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. It's all based on this event that is recorded and eyewitness of and historical documents that give us what we have today. So what do we do with that? What do we, how do we approach people if you don't just say, well, the Bible says... There's a game changer. There's an approach that we can take that Paul models to us. 
not a new approach. It did 2,000 years ago, but I think it could be helpful for us. In fact, here, here I'll just sum it up here, kind of today's truth. In fact, I have one point today, and it's not that clever, by the way. It's really this. It's this. Meet people where they're at and let God lead you to where he wants them to be. Now, that's just simple, right? That's just, that's just basic. But if we have this mindset, do you want people to really truly know Jesus? Absolutely. I bet it, most of you are like, of course, of course, of course. But it's, if you want to see that happen, there's an approach that we want to take. If you're wanting to see people that you, you raised up in a Christian home and they're, they, they, they're over here, if you want to have conversations with them, Paul, what he did is he reasoned with them. He approached, his approach was different that I want to look at today. This is interesting how he approached them. How would you do this? This is what he did. He basically got together with them and he read the room. He, he's, okay, where are these guys at? So I'm sure he prayed inside, Lord, give me wisdom. And then this is what he, this is how he addressed the, the group here. He says, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you're very religious. Now we read that and we're kind of going, Paul, man, that's kind of like accusation here. Like when we use like, yeah, you're religious. It actually was a compliment. As far as I understand reading it, he, he's affirming them. He's saying, hey, I noticed you're, there's some things that are really important to you beyond this world. Like you are deep thinkers. You really care about something even on another level. And, and it's true, because you, he, what does he see? Everywhere he sees idols. He sees how they, they formed idols everywhere. And, and they said back in the day that there was, there, was, there was more per capita idols than people in Athens. And like, and listen, you're polytheistic. You're going to need a god for a lot of different things, right? You know, five gods to one person, you know, five idols. That's what the culture they're living in. And we might not relate with that. We're going, well, we don't have any idols in our culture. We have a show, American Idol. That's it, right? No, we, we do. We know this. We know that, you know, because what happens with idols is this. What, what, when we do an idol, if you're wondering if you're, you're an idol, you know, you're into idolatry, is this. You know, we know that God created us in his own image. But is there a tendency sometimes that we try to create God in our image and what we want? When we start forming and shaping what we want in our world. At the end of the day, really, you're trying to be God, and then, and then we're trying to make God into what we want. And so that's the reverse that happens with, with idolatry. And, and really, idolatry is where you're putting your affection even more into to, to God himself. And so reality is we're all religious in some way. People push back on that, like, no, I'm, not, I'm, a, I'm a nun. Like, well, you, you, you might not darken a church or a synagogue, but you, you worship something. Uh, in fact, Jesus said it this way. You thought, you know, Bob Dylan says, you know, 50 years ago, you have to serve somebody. Jesus said it this way. He said, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one or love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. Now, that word money here actually is the word mammon. It's, it actually was a Greek god, a Roman god, actually, that they, they worshipped. And, and so they worshipped, there was a god of riches, and if it, now, if it wasn't money, there's something. Paul later wrote from prison in Rome. He said this to the Philippian church. He says, For many of whom I have often told you, now and tell you even with tears, who, who walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. They, they end, um, their, their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in, in their shame with mindset, mindset on earthly things. It's what he's saying. Your, your God is what you're consuming. We want pleasure, love, you know, or food, sex, 
power, list all the things that are there that people are after. And for the Greek philosophers, really, it was their, their, their religion was knowledge. If I can just get smarter, that's going to transcend everything. In fact, there was a heretic teaching later on called Gnosticism that entered the church that was addressed that came from this kind of philosophy that was messing people up. See, I think we look at the postmodern world and we're thinking, you know, they want to know the, they want to know the facts to faith-based answers and everything like that. That we, we look at people, I just want to know the truth, I want to know the truth. The reality is I don't think a lot of people are necessarily on truth quests. I think most, of us, most people in the world are on a happy quest. They just want to be happy. And if, if I'm not happy with whatever these set of standards, these rules or religious Christian things I got to do, then I'm not going to, I'm not going to follow it. And yet, they're, as we know, they're missing it completely in the blur of everything that's going on. And yet, religion is something that is beyond ourselves. And what's interesting is, when we talk to people that, that you know, they don't have any religious beliefs, and, and you might even be here today, I understand there's people come to the door and it's like, I'm just not really sure of, of a lot of this. But, but what we find is that we worship something or someone that has our affection, you know? So if you talk to somebody going, oh, no, I, you know, I don't work, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not religious or anything. Well, you, you know, you, you seem to worship your beer. You know, you, you seem to really be, you, it seems like you worship your boat. You seem to be worshiping, you know, other, other things. There seems to be other things out there that, that are consuming you. You know, you even talk to people, you could kind of say, I think you worship your work. And why is that? Well, they complain about it all the time. Well, I don't, well, it seems to be your focus. Well, in some ways, we can worship worry, right? Anxiety becomes our, our religion. And so what do we do? Well, what did Paul do? What Paul did is he addressed this. He didn't go, well, the Bible says. They don't know. They, he he could have easily, you know, he if it was a Jewish crowd, he could have said, well, the, you know, the second, you know, do, you know, do not make an idol for yourself. I mean, Moses and Ten Commandments. He doesn't go there. Wrong audience. He needed a new approach. What he appeals to them is he says, you're religious. Actually, that word religious means very fearful of God's. And so where is he going to? He's going to the deeper emotion. He's going to the fact that inside of them, and, and it goes to, well, I say the deepest emotion is fear in all of us. He appeals to that place saying, hey, I understand where you are at. And, 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 and we know that with fear is because it, brings in, it, it's a, it comes from insecurity, and so then we're trying to take control of our life. And so if I can't take control of my life, one of the things I'll, I'll do is I'll, I'll, I'll put things in my life to control. That's where idolatry comes from. You're trying to shape things the way you want your world to go. And, and so here Paul is, he's touring around, he's touring around Athens, and he says this to him. He says, for I have passed along and observed the objects of your worship. I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. He's very clever here. He goes, hey, I just noticed, by the way, hey, I noticed this, this thing here this altar, like, and so he's kind of speaking to them on their own turf. He doesn't condemn them. You shouldn't worship all these idols. What does he do? He appeals to them and, and sparks their curiosity about this unknown God. And, and you're going, well, what's the unknown God? It's the ancient Greek way of playing it safe. If you have all these gods... And you got them all lined, you know, you got a, you know, you got a sun god, you got a, you know, farming god, I don't know, whatever gods they had. They had all these different gods for their crops and all the different gods from love and all this. And then they're like, but what if we are going to miss one? We better put a, 
God. <laughs> we better have a backup one. It's smart, right? You think about this. Paul models to us of how not to try to convert somebody, but to make them curious. He says to them in verse 23, what there, therefore you worship is unknown. This is what he says, I proclaim to you. He goes, I, this unknown God, hey, let me tell you about your unknown God. I have an idea who that might be. And so he goes to the, you know, this unmarked God. I got, actually know who that is. And what he does is he appeals to their FOMO, the fear of missing out, because they're like, oh, you know who that is? We don't want to miss out on what this is. And you see this, and he says, the God, now this is a big G, not lower G, who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, and said himself gives to all mankind and breath and everything, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling places, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he, he actually is not far from each one of us. What is Paul saying? He's appealing to this Greek culture. He's stirring something of emotion and tapping into their fear, but he's also saying, I have a solution to how you're feeling. Your gods that you follow and your gods are doing, they're mad at you, they're angry at you, they're distant from you, they want to squash you. But actually the God Almighty, not this the lower case, I'm talking the God, not the one you shaped and formed, I'm talking the one that's above it all, actually can be sought and he, he can find you because he's not that far off. Where's it leading to? Well, here it's interesting. Paul doesn't quote scripture. He quotes Greek poets they know he says this in him we live and move and have our being as even some of your own poets have said for we are indeed his offspring paul summarizes the whole genesis account the whole plan of creation the whole redemptive work he's doing and doesn't refer to any hebrew scripture listen if you're trying to be right just quote the bible and you're done. You, you answered someone's question. They're done. You did your good deed. You, made, you gave the great religious answer. But you have a, I have a feeling you're not going to influence anyone. You're not going to win anybody over. Does that mean we're watering down the truth? Of course not. Of course not. The Bible is infallible and spoiled the word of God. But it's all about approach. Paul speaks in common language. And he, but he gets direct with them. He gets to a place where, again, he sees the fear. Again, they want a God. They, they know there's gods out there that could crush them. Even though, it's so ironic. They live such immoral lives, and yet they, they, they're in fear. And this is what it says. Being then, he, said, he goes on, God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being like a gold or silver or stone, image formed by the art and imagination of man. As I said earlier, they were trying to form God in their own image not God, God and what, who, who he is. Paul's main point is, is that you can't make a God for yourselves. It doesn't matter how much wealth or knowledge or power you have. This unknown God, let me know, let me know it's this big G God. And he says this, the time of ignorance, God overlooked it, but now he commands all people everywhere, check this out, to repent. Now you read that like, whoa, Paul, now you're lowering the boom, repent. I mean, we've seen the guy in the street says repent and turn and burn 
repent, the word, that's not, we're, we're, we got too churchy with that word, too judgy with that word. The word repent means to turn into the, to a different direction. He says, he's saying, hey, turn away from that life and all that. Turn toward this one that I can tell you is near. He's not far. He wants relationship with you. He says this, because he fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he had appointed. Who's that man? Hmm. Listen, if, 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 if they understood any kind of judgment, they understood that. They understood what it felt like. They understood in their history, like, what gods will do and crush, crush people. And you, you took 10th grade Greek mythology, right? You remember that? Or Percy Jackson movies. Some of you guys watched those. You know, you, that's where these guys are coming from. But who, so who's, we, we think about the point of man. This is what it says about it. Who can help? He says, on this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. He's just... Who, who, what are you talking about, Paul? He continues to reel them in. He's speaking to them with truth, but doesn't quote chapter and verse. And here he has the Greek thinkers. He's in the center of this Greek culture, and he has this opportunity, and he doesn't mention Jesus, the name Jesus, once. Did he, Paul, Paul, you don't know how to share the gospel. Paul, Apostle Paul, he does, you don't know what you're doing. Interesting, isn't it? Interesting. It's hard to process a little bit. That's what he did. That's how he did it. Now, how did they respond? What was the way they responded? Well, they responded in three ways, and it's typical three ways people do. First people, you know, they're the dismissors. Like, whatever, that's crazy. In fact, that's what they they said. Luke records this. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Like, no way. That's not good. Especially probably the Epicureans. They're like, no way. There's no afterlife. There's no thing. Uh, you know, the, the people mocked, and I've had it, I and mean, we, we used to have Saturday night service here, and we used to have a pretty lively group of people would come on Saturday night, some of you guys remember, and I had, you know, I was sharing everything, and a guy got up and goes, F you, and then walks out the door, and I'm like, I was, and you know, thanks for sharing, I guess, you know, I didn't, and, and I know what to do, but that, and he was slightly inebriated, so that was probably part of it, but, but you might be here today, like, you might know, F you, you know, but, and he used the real word, by the way, I won't use that today, but he, he, you might be feeling it, but inside, you, like, there's a, like, there's a dismissal, you're going to run into people all the time, but how do we move people from the dismissing to the curious? Paul shows us this a little bit, in fact, he says this, but others said, we will hear you again about this. Sometimes we just kind of turn on the throttle and we just like, oh, you want to hear about this? Blah, 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 blah. And you're like, whoo, dude, I don't know. I was just kind of like struggling. I don't know. You, you, we need to be smart about this. And so Paul kind of leads them on and curious. He, he's wetting their appetite a little bit. I've heard something. It takes seven times to really hear the gospel for a person to even consider it or even, I don't even make a decision. I think it's probably more down days than anything. There's so much skepticism. I was going to say the Bible says, but uh, the psalmist says, it says this, taste and see that the Lord is good, right? Are we wetting the appetites with our life and who we are? Are we appealing to them? And, and, and then it appeals to truth. Well, and then the last response, so they got the curious, but then there was believers. Out of that, the, Paul went out from their midst, but what? Some men joined him and believed. It happened. 
what do you need to even share about Jesus? I bet he did at some point. <laughs> I bet he did. I bet, let me tell you that, that there's only one name under heaven man can be saved, okay? He's going to, he, he very clear, just read all the apostle, uh, the epistles of Paul. I mean, it's Jesus, 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 right? But he's smart about it. He, he does it. And then later on, he moves, you read, he goes to Corinth, and then he plants a church there. And later on, he writes a letter to them. And I love this. This is now, you're like, he, re, he showed you how to do it. Now he shows you the playbook. Here's his playbook. It says to the Corinthians, he says this, For though I am free from all, I've made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became, a, became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became one under the law, though not myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those on the outside of law, I became one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. And here it is. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. Game changer. Playbook. There it is. He, everything. He, this is how I went about it and encouragement for you. So how do you, what, what do you do with that this morning? Well, I don't have any points really. You need to come up with your own plan. But, let me give you some ideas. Let me, I want you to think about this. And you're thinking, man, I don't think, hopefully I'm not debating with Greek philosophers this week. Well, guess what? Everybody has the internet, so everybody's an expert, okay? So the guy you work with, <laughs> you know, he's got his opinion. Your neighbor, your, your person online, you know, the, the customer you work with that complains, and they seem to have an, an, an angle on every political thing that's going on in the world, right? How do we approach people with the gospel that we're not shoving Jesus down their throats. At least they won't feel that way. How do we do that? Well, I think it's just being smart. I think it's doing what Paul did. He listened to what was going on. He listened beyond the aches and pains to their hurts, to their hopes, to their struggles, what's going on. He appealed to them eventually to the fear that they have. You'll find out when you listen to people and you they share a little bit and you go, hey, tell me more about that. You ever been to a counselor? Tell me more about, oh, what is it that you're feeling? What? Now, why do you feel that way? That's not accusatory. It's just going, I'm curious. You get curious about them. They'll get curious about you. And you begin to go, oh, okay, so you're feeling that. Why? You know, so then you go, oh, what are you going to do? I don't know. I don't know, we're just hanging on to, well, what do you, what do you hang on to? I don't know, we just, you know, we're just trust, what do you trust, what are you trusting, who are you tr trusting in? How far does this go? Because at the end of the day, we're all religious. We're all looking to someone or something to help us, because we know, we know in our brokenness at the end of the day. You could have pride, you could have, put your whole cover on who you are at the end of the day. We're all there. I think it's, it's doing this work in such a way to really understand where, and God then begins to give you a platform and opportunity. Will there come a place about the Bible? I hope so, because it, does, it is our playbook to share how for people to come to faith in Christ. But what Paul did, he went for where they were at. With the weak, he became weak. 
To the strong became strong. To, the, to this person, this. And it's not that you're trying to be a chameleon. You're, you still have your own convictions, right? That's not what Paul's saying. It's not about truth, it's about watering it down. It's all about approach. I wonder, I wonder if we started doing that a little bit more and asking more questions and getting an insight a little bit more. Because what, what, what you're going to need to do, and you're going to need to really double up on your Bible reading, by the way. You're going to have to really get even more prepared. Now, I'm not trying to, you have to go to seminary or anything, but you're going you're gonna to have some, some questions you're not going to have answers to. But that's okay. You just share what you know, and, what you, and, 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 and you're able to then walk through with people and have questions with you. This happens with your friends, your coworkers. This happens with your children, your adult children, your grandchildren. You're going, where are I? Some people are not ready to have those conversations because they're still trying to do their life. They're still thinking, if I have enough money, if I have the right relationship, if I have the right position, if I have the right health, I'll do that. But when those things start falling apart, where do they go, where do they turn to? And I've learned a couple things too is there's two things that happen for people when they're open to the gospel. One is when they're in crisis. Yesterday, we had a couple folks in our, in our church that are in the hospital. It worked conveniently. They were like three doors down from each other in the hospital. And they're in crisis in the sense they're there. And they both know the Lord and everything. But they're, they were hanging on, and they appreciated the prayer. There was an openness. And I tell you, when people are in crisis, they're going through loss of a loved one, or they're going through health issues, or there's, there's something going on in their life, in relationships. They're looking for hope, and you have that opportunity. The other thing is people are in transition. When people go through changes, they move in a new area, get a new job, or have a new baby, or have a new grandchild, or, or you know, all the changes, they, they, they're looking to go, okay, now what do I do with life? Where's my purpose in life in there? These are these opportunities. But I love as we go to prayer here, invite uh, our guys to come up. I want you to hear this scripture, how Peter helps us here. He says this. He says this, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone asks you to, to give the reasons for the hope that's in you, but to do it with gentleness and respect. When the time comes and when the opportunity is there, then you'll be able to share. And what are you sharing? You're not speaking at them. What you're doing is, can I, would it be okay? Can I tell you my story? Because I relate with you and what you've gone through. I'm like, oh man, that's painful. I remember, remember for me, and you're not trying to top their story. You're just saying, I'm just sharing. Can I share where I'm at? And then you began to weave very, very intentionally, but very gently with respect. This is what Jesus did for me. And you might be like, I don't, I know you might be like, God and Jesus, and you're like, oh, I was raising that. Can I tell you, if what I learned is I peeled it back and I went to the original. I actually went to the Gospels and I realized that these are, these are actually eyewitnesses. These are like documents. These are historical things. It's not just a book and a story. It's actually really real. And I found it was really real for me. And when I got into actually who Jesus was and what he does, and then I began to discover, wow, I need that. And I began to find hope beyond myself. But what it caused me to do is I had to, I had to let go of my ways. I had to let go of my life and, and, and really trust my life in the hands of God. And yeah, can I tell you what happened? Change happened to me. Some of it was dramatic and things happened, and, and, but over time it got, it, it was more change that happened. Was I perfect? No, I, I ventured off, and I, you know, but God just kept bringing me back. I realized this God out here is not someone I have to fear and someone that's going to crush me, but it's a God that's near to me. 
And what I found is, and it's in the person of Jesus and what he did and how he died for my sins. And I think this is the biggest thing I found is it's through his resurrection that truly gives me life. What would it, what would it look to have those kind of conversations? God wants us to have that. He wants us to be smart. Let's peel back all the religious churchiness and just, just let's just get into the conversations with people and wonder what God would do. And as we pray, I just have this question as we go there with that. Because it's a harder work than just saying what the Bible says. This is the question. What is the faith of the next generation worth it to you? What is it worth it to you? I want to do all things to, for all things to all people that I might reach some. What would it take? I know it starts with prayer. And it starts with you and I just saying, Lord, help us. I invite you just to bow with me in prayer as we do this. I think there's people on our heart today. As I talk with many of you and, and just some of my empty nester friends and, 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 and even younger, younger generations here, and you have children that are in, in, in middle school and high school. By the way, tonight, is, if you have a middle school or high school you're watching online, please bring them tonight. We're, we're talking about the cross. We're actually going to put a cross in, on the floor, a big cross in the middle of this floor. And chairs will be around. We're going to talk about the cross tonight and the meaning of the cross because our generation needs to hear it and understand it in their terms, who Jesus really is. And that's the prayer that I want to pray for you. But as we pray for those out there, may the Lord give you a, a heart for somebody. And, and you were going, no, I already have somebody in mind. But who is that? Some you work with, some you live with, someone that used to, used to live with you, now has grown up. Well, Lord, can, can we pray the Lord give us conversation and opportunities? that we hope that they'd be won over. That maybe you need to be won over today. Maybe you're here, you're watching online, I'm like, I'm not convinced of that. We want you to know, we want to create safe space for you to talk about that. And we're here. We're not trying to smooze you with any churchiness. We just want you to understand that what the truth has done for us and how the gospels changed our lives, how it was a game changer for us, be a game changer for you. Lord, we thank you for this time. We need a lot of help, and it, it, it's sobering news. It's, it's hard in the world we live in. But I pray that we would not leave here discouraged, but we would feel empowered to, to enter in. If we believe that the, the gospel is the power of God on the salvation of man, then we don't have to be insecure about any of it. We know what the change you've done in our lives. So you want to do the same in others. We're not going to force it down. We're not going to, we're not going to beat anybody down with the Bible. We're, we're just going to live it out this week. But we need your help to do that because we've got anxiety. We've got insecurities. And gosh, they've become idols as well. So Lord, help us this and give us courage. Give us strategic conversations that you are putting together, but that we would realize it. We realize these are the moments that we can talk with a coworker, and talk with a friend and talk with a loved one, talk with a kid or one of our children about you and what you've done, Lord. So give us those moments and give us those opportunities and that, Lord, we be smart about the approach, wise about the approach, but that we would share the hope that's within us and we would do it with gentleness and respect. I pray for those that still need to be convinced. <laughs> Lord, we can't convince anybody of anything, but you can. 
you could speak to the hearts right now, even the people in this room, that they're, maybe they're, they've moved from dismissing all to be curious, Lord. Will, Lord, will you continue to reveal yourself that you're not just a God out there that doesn't care, but you're one that wants to be near, and you are near to them. And so, Lord, as we, as we go from this place and we move in this Easter season, as we, we're going to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus but the pathway to that resurrection is through the cross. The pathway through life is through death. And so may we thank you and appreciate all that you've done, that you've done for us. And Lord, now, Lord, you want to do through us as we go into these wonderful weeks together. That we would do all things and reach all things to all people and all that we can, that we could reach some, Lord. We ask this in your precious name.